Welcome to another episode of Religionless Church. I'm your emo snob and Religionless Church host, Mason Menega. In this episode, I talk with Kat Armis. Kat is a writer, podcaster, and a coffee roaster. Also musically featured throughout this episode is River Teeth. River Teeth is a post-hardcore band from Minneapolis. You can get connected with both Cat and River Teeth and their work in the links in the episode description. In the links in the description, you will also find my website, masonmeninga.com, where you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. If religionless church matters to you, there are two ways you can support. First, give the podcast a rating and a review. This not only offers thoughts and evaluations to others considering listening to the podcast, but it also informs me upon what to improve with the podcast. The second way to support is to become a patron of my Patreon page. Patreon is a service where supporters financially support creators. With currently three different tiers varying from $1 to $10 a month, you receive respective rewards for supporting my work. Rewards include papers I write, upcoming Religionless Church episode previews, lectures I create, and much more. The links to connect to and support me and my work, including my Patreon page, are all in the episode description. I no longer wish to be your object cause of desire, as I, with my begging rambling, prevent you from your object of desire of this awaiting episode. Therefore, here it is, Religionless Church. Today we have Kat Armis. I really hope I'm saying that right. I you didn't are. even ask okay. you before, Ar- Armis. <laughs> and uh, Kat is a writer. Uh, she's a student, uh, a partner. Um, you are, I, I, I mean, from what I've read from your bio and everything, you also are an entrepreneur. Uh, so you do lots of things in the world. Uh, but as <laughs> always, I, I ask every guest this question. Uh, who is Kat Armis to Kat Armis? That's a great question. Uh, okay, so I will say, I will start with, I am a daughter, uh, second generation of Cuban immigrants mm. from Miami. And uh, I start with that because, of course, the way that I view the world starts there. Like that is mm-hmm. sort of like the foundation, the basis of like how I see, how I understand the world. Um, so, yeah, I would say that I am a, a learner, a constant. <laughs> I know that's like a basic, but I'm just obsessed with just learning and mm-hmm. and, you know, reading and and all that kind of stuff. And as it pertains to my faith, um, I would say that what's, it's important to note that I, I'm actually came to the faith as an adult. So, yeah, so I didn't grow up in the church, um, which is a, you know, an interest, another interesting way how I look at the world, how I understand my faith, how I, you know, because I didn't grow up in it. And so there's a lot of conversations as it pertains to Christianity, like purity culture, like I understand mm-hmm. it and I was around it, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't subject to purity culture, you know, oh, okay. thank God. 
but like things like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so my, my sort of, I mean, I had your very quintessential, very radical salvation experience in my early twenties. And then from there, you know, it was, it was a quick getting into the faith and then a quick, like deconstruction from my, you know, it it all happened so fast. And so, you know, I come to a place where all of that comes together. And so I would say, I think because of that, yes, I'm constantly learning and trying to figure it out and working through it. Um, let's see what else. I, yes, I am an entrepreneur. I, so my husband and I, we, uh, we own our own coffee, small batch coffee roasting company and, um, you know, always trying to do new things and um, scratch the itch of creativity. Um, so a creative, I guess. Yeah. So those are some of the things. That's wonderful. Uh, so my very first question, I have to ask it right off the bat. How does referring to God as, and I quote, babe, <laughs> while praying, subvert the patriarchy <laughs> in Christianity? Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was like <laughs> one of the tweets that just, so many people were like, what in the world? And well, then I love So when... do you want, I, so I have a connection to that tweet. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. just, so uh, you tweeted that. And I think even within like the first few minutes before it really took off, I had, I saw it. And probably like not even a month prior to that, I tweeted something really similar where I said something along the lines of one time I heard a student in my college chapel open their prayer yeah, with, hey, daddy. <laughs> and so I replied to your tweet with my tweet. And it kind of like, it, even though it was like a month yeah. prior, it like kind of gave a little resurgence to it because yours went even bigger. And so anyway, there's my connection. But Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I think when I originally saw that, your tweet, I loved it. I was cracking up because, yeah, that's always the, the daddy God or whatever. Um, <laughs> so that was actually, I was in the car and I was just pissed off about something. And so I'm like, oh, you know, and just like, babe. And then I was like, <laughs> you know, because it was one of those just like when I was just out, just yelling out my frustrations <laughs> at the world in the form of a prayer. And yeah, so, so babe just, you know, sort of slipped out of there. But <laughs> We we need more pet names in prayers, don't we? Right? Oh yeah, totally. Because <laughs> we don't have enough weird ones, right? We don't have. I think That's Daddy right. God takes it. <laughs> well, and I think even maybe like a couple weeks after that, I I received a tweet or received a message from one of my friends, and some one of those like Twitter comedy accounts had uh-huh. found not only your tweet, not only my tweet, but a couple other people's no. tweets about like somebody saying or referring to God in a pet name. And oh this like comedy Twitter account said something along the lines of like, I can't believe this genre exists or something along those oh. lines. And, but it, it definitely <laughs> made the rounds like your tweet, my tweet, they all made the rounds. And it was interesting. The ridiculousness of evangelicalism. Right. I mean, yeah, that makes its rounds for sure. Well, uh, speaking of the ridiculousness of evangelicalism, you mentioned in your bio, and you talked a little bit loosely about this, about coming from your a background of fundamentalism. Uh, tell us about your spiritual journey. Uh, you even, and I didn't know this, you, you didn't grow up in a, a church. Um, so maybe even start with that, how you moved to maybe fundamentalism, conservative evangelicalism, to where yeah. you are now. Yeah, hot mess. Okay, yeah. So I um, grew up loosely Roman Catholic. So my family, like I said, is Cuban. 
And that's very big in Cuba, mm-hmm. just Roman Catholicism. And so um, I, you know, went to, did my communion, all of that. Um, I would go to mass with my grandma, my abuelita. And that, so that was sort of like growing up my, the norm. And then um, I, I was in Catholic school and everything for high school. And so, you know, it was sort of just like a thing, you know, we had to do like the whole confession and, you know, we had to do, you know, it, it was sort of part of like our daily routine in Catholic school. Um, and then, you know, I went off to college, kind of did my own thing. I was very, I mean, I just love, I just love going out. I'm, I'm very extrovert. I'm mm-hmm. very, so I was like that girl, you know, that was just, like, yeah, you know, like, like take life by the horns. So then I had um, just that sort of moment as one does in their early 20s at 21 years old, where I was just like, well, there has to be more to life, you know, and, and what is my purpose and all that. And so I somehow found myself at this ginormous um, Christian conference. And it was so Miami is not churched at all, really. There's probably one mega, you know, Southern Baptist mega church that mm. at that time, this was probably like this was eight years ago or something. And so um, there wasn't much, right? So they had just started the first Christian radio station. And so I would listen to it on my way to work, you know, and, and I was like, oh, this is fun. This is cool. And then, so they start, they kind of started doing their own, uh, they did their first Christian, um, like big conference. There had never been one in Miami. Hmm. And so, yeah. And so, you know, I, I somehow got a ticket forgot about it. Six months later, I get an email and it was like, Hey, you know, conference this weekend. So I'm like, okay. So I show up and it was the first time that I had, I mean, people, you know, with their eyes closed, like worship, like Jesus, you know, and I mean, Hillsong was, I don't even know who they were. It was all these like very evangelical, you know, and I, I had no idea who any of them were. And I'm just like, what in the world? Like people feel this way about Jesus. Like, what is this? You know? So that sort of began my journey into like that whole world. and because my only option at the time or all that I knew, all that was available to me was SBC megachurch or, you know, Roman Catholicism, I was like, well, let's try this, you know? So I started, you know, got really into um, the whole SBC megachurch life. And then from there, um, I, you know, I decided I want to do minute, pursue ministry full time mm. and very much in this world. So I quit my job and I was like, well, I just want to be a missionary, you know? So I started visiting um, just friends that were serving in other countries and I would just kind of go visit them and like, hey, maybe I'll move here. And I would, but I, would, I kept coming home and I was sort of doing that for about a year. And then um, I decided, I ended up visiting New Orleans, Louisiana, um, just on a bachelorette party trip. Mm-hmm. And I decided I want to live here. And then I was like, well, what would I move here for? Oh, there's a seminary here. I didn't know about you know, I didn't know anything about the seminary, so I just showed up. I decided to move a month later. Um, showed up in New Orleans, decided to go to seminary, and then that was my. And so I went from you know sort of Miami Southern Baptist mega church to like the subculture of the subculture of the subculture of fundamentalism, mm. and I had no idea, right? So I just pop in there. I'm you know a very loud, opinionated Latina. I'm older than everyone too because I had you know kind of come to the faith older or as an adult, everyone was still very young. So I just kind of pop in here like, all right, I I didn't know anything about women can't do this or women can't like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And all of a sudden, like I'm hearing this from pastors and I'm hearing this from professors and, and it was sort of like a major culture shock. You know, I had Mm. never, I mean, literally up until I got there, I don't even think I've ever had like a white friend, like as weird as that sounds. I mean, Miami's super Cuban, you know, it's a Mm. huge Mm -hmm. city. 
everyone's Hispanic, you know, everyone's Latino, like, and then I just show up and, I, and I'm just like, so yeah, we're going to party. And people are like, no, like, what are you doing? You know? So that was just a huge culture shock. So that sort of began my, you know, as soon as I got there, it's almost I began kind of undoing what I had only for a very short time, you know, sort of done or whatever, you know, like undo, like unbuilding what I what only had been built for a few years. So it was all really quick, you know, Um, and it was in that because I think also the fact that I was an adult and the fact that, you know, I kind of came to this and, and I. And I understood it and I, it made sense to me. And, and, and I just, I honestly fell in love with scripture and, and it wasn't because I, I had to, I was forced to, I mean, I just remember right when I decided to become a Christian, just kind of opening the book of James and like, this makes sense to me and like sobbing, you know, mm-hmm. and like, and it was, it just did, you know? And so I think now I speak from a place of like, okay, like where have, where have people or where has this been? spoken about in a way that is abusive or hurtful or just really lazy exegesis mm-hmm. right and how can we how can we reconstruct it? because i think there is beautiful things to get from scripture you know yes, and if we read absolutely. it well and if we read it you know if we're not lazy in how we interpret it and you know there is so much to gain from it and so i kind of i'm sort of in that middle like i don't want to throw the whole thing away but let's let's see what we can still get from this mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how that whole journey. And then, um, I got married within all of that. And I'm still in this very much, well, you know, women's places in the home. And I'm like, what? you know, like, what do you Mm. mean? Like I grew up with a single mom and a single grandma who were like, yeah, you go be independent and do whatever you do. You know, Latina Mm. women, like just very, you just, you got to work hard and do what you got to do, you know? So, um, so yeah, so that was just all very confusing to me. And within a, a matter of months, I, you know, I got really into like, let's study this. And I started, you know, really researching women in scripture. And, and I was like, no, like, we got to get out of here. So yeah, so so my spouse and I, we just decided from one day or the other, let's, you know, we sold everything. And we're like, how far can we go? So we went all the way to California. <laughs> yeah, I transferred to Fuller. Um, and so now I speak from that sort of that sort of perspective of like, Latina woman, you know, grew up very much in that world, you know, kind of a culture shock, come, stepping into white evangelicalism and then stepping out of it, you know, yeah. so it's, it's very much all of that mixed together. What inspired you to do your Masters of Divinity at Fuller in particular? Uh, yeah, is there anything about Fuller that attracted you to them or that you felt was maybe divergent enough from your experience in New Orleans? Yeah. Um, but yeah, can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so like I said, I was very much when it came to seminaries, when it came to denominations at that time. I didn't know too much. I mean, it was really a decision out of like, okay, what, where's what's an institution that I've heard that I can trust and that is far and that is diverse. And as far as, you know, 
leadership women and people of color. And so it was one of the first ones that came to mind. I was like, let's go. It's the farthest we can go. Let's do this, you know? Mm. Um, and it was mainly the w- women, really women. Mm. Um, the fact that, you know, very affirming women leadership. Um, and so, yeah, so that was sort of just, uh, and, and I make decisions like, like that, like, all right, this works, let's go. Like, I don't think about things too much. I just sort mm-hmm. of do. It. So that was one of those things, but, but yeah. You're currently in the midst of receiving your master's of divinity. And I think, did you say you're receiving your master's, master's of theology, theology as yeah, well? Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in the midst of all of that, a lot of work, mm-hmm. you're doing lots of different things. You're taking lots of courses. And as a fellow seminary student, one of the most frustrating questions I'm asked by people is when they ask me what my grades are at the end of a semester, <laughs> instead of asking what I learned, right? Yeah, they ask yeah. what my grade was, what, what was the outcome rather than what did you learn to maybe get mm-hmm. to that outcome? So I, I'm curious, what have you been learning this semester? Oh, that's good. So right now I'm, I took a, this has been a fun quarter because I, I just finished but I, I took a preaching practicum course and I took a Hebrew, just grammar. I, I took my final Hebrew grammar. So I'll be doing Hebrew exegesis next quarter. But um, so I, one of the things that I learned is that I actually really, really enjoyed um, getting into the thick of Hebrew. Um, I was mm. mostly like a Greek person for a while and I was mostly like New Testament focus yeah. and just sort of like a Paul person, you know, Paul is a hot mess. And I want to just understand, you know, what in the world is going on inside of his head. (laughs) And so I was just very, you know, kind of enamored by that. And then, um, yeah, I just kind of have been falling in love with Hebrew. So I'll take my first exegesis this quarter and we'll see. I might, might lean lean a little (laughs) bit more that way. Well, I don't know. But another thing, um, that one actually specific thing that has been really big for me the the last few months was you know so when I when we left uh you know that and when we left New Orleans um of course I left angry and you know bitter and just I was just pissed off you know pretty much all the time and um and I you know we had taken a little break from from being consistent with going to church and I just needed to kind of process and regroup and you know, just all the crap that, you know, I've been through and, and just, it was just a lot. It was a lot. Um, and so, yeah, it took a bit to just process and work through it. And so, uh, in this, so I just took the, like I said, a preaching practicum course and it focused on faith, hope, and love. And, um, Hmm. we had to preach. Yeah. The second sermon we had to preach was on hope. And I was just like, you know, what in the world am I going to say? Like, this is not the most hopeful season for me. You know, I'm not the most hopeful person right now. Um, I was like, you know, sure, I have hope, but like, that's not what I feel like trying to communicate in a sermon right now. Um, But I mean, within that, in the process of trying to dig up hope from inside of me, it just, I sort of just realized like, wait a minute, yes, there's still hope left in me. And it was a really, really beautiful, you know, just kind of thought that I, or or kind of revelation that I came to. the, recog- the, the recognizing that there's still hope left in you. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing to kind of sit in. Um, you know, and I just preached about disillusionment. And I mean, who hasn't been disillusioned by the church, right? Who hasn't been mm. hurt by the church? And so it was really, um, really healing for me to be able to talk about that and that, hey, you know, we've all been through crap, but like hope can be birth, you know, birthing pains towards something beautiful. And 
just, you know, sit with the pain and, and, and become one with the pain and, you know, you don't have to resist it or, but just, you know, sit there with and work through the pain. And so, yeah. And I finished preaching that sermon and then I ran to the library and I'm like sobbing in the corner. And everyone's mm. like, are you okay? I'm like, no, it's the tears. I still have hope left in me. So that was a, I think those are the two, two things that I, I learned this quarter. Yeah. Yeah. As a seminary student, you're encountering all sorts of different theologians. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, who are theologians who inspire you most? Oh, that's such a good question. So I would say the first one um, that really, really inspired me is Miguel de la Torre. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, a, a Latinx theologian and activist scholar. Um, he really, so he's Cuban, and he's one of the few theologians to speak to the Cuban experience, um, which is, he's very specific in that, like, this is the Cuban experience. And so I wrote this massive paper on the history of Christianity in Cuba, and specifically the women's role within just the history of Cuba. And that was definitely, of course, I mean, life-changing for me, and just some kind of going through the history of Cuba and seeing how women have played such a very, very unique and powerful and specific role in, in resistance. And like, and so that was sort of like the focus of my paper, like how have women been resistors, you know, because Cuba is a history of colonization. I mean, it was colonized by the Spaniards. And, and so it's just a history of that. And then, you know, they finally get like a moment of respite. And then you have just communists, you have Castro coming in Mm -hmm. and you have, so it's just been a, just such a tumult. They've had such a tumultuous history, Mm -hmm. you know, and so much pain and so much And so just kind of walking through that history, you know, I call it like research grief, you know, like when you're kind of researching something that's, that's close to you and you're just like, wow, this is really hard. It's like walk trekking through mud, so painful, but kind of trekking through that and seeing like that, 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 you know, slither of hope throughout. And that's just resistance. Like, man, Cuban women are resistors, you know, Mm. and I, I just came from Miami to visit family. And uh, I heard this story that one of our cousins, there was this woman that she was there at, at we had a big family reunion. And she just recently came from Cuba and she decided that she wanted to throw a party, you know, because she's, she's, she got here and she's with her husband, her husband kind of brought her over and she wanted to throw a party. So she decided that she was going to get a truck and she was going to find a cow because that's what you do. You find a cow and then you kill it and you cook it. So she's driving around Miami and she goes like this farmy area called Homestead and she finds a cow. She loads it on the truck by herself. I have, I promise you, I have no idea how she did this. And then she takes it home, like all the way across town to slaughter this cow. And they were like, no, that's illegal in this country. Like you cannot slaughter and kill cows. Like that's animal cruelty. She's like, oh, so she had to drive the cow back. And I say that story to say like, it's just like, this is, this is, I want to have this party and this is how we do it. And I don't know, we're going to do it. You know, it's like, we're going to get this done. And so that that little story, I'm like, man, I love Cuban women, you know, like they just get it done and they don't care what any, you know? So, um, so yeah, just the history of Cuban women is just, man, what these women have been through in my Mm. family. And, and so I think Miguel de la Torre was one of the first people to really show me that, to Mm. really open my eyes to that, you know, that Latina women have bore the brunt of colonization, you know, um, and that, and then you know, the second one would be um, Ada Maria Sassi Diaz, who is also Cuban. She mm-hmm. is the mother of. Mohammed. Oh, I didn't realize she was Cuban. Yes, oh, she's I Cuban. I know it's insane. All of them, and so she's the mother of Mujerista theology. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. she also. So then, 
taking it from like a general historical perspective and then her, you know, just the embodiment of, you know, what it means to be a mujerista. Um, so I think those, those two, definitely, and they're both my people. <laughs> That's great. You, you sort of alluded to my next question, but my next question was, who are people who are maybe not necessarily academic theologians, but have still deeply impacted your own theology? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I am currently doing um, some like personal work on um, Abuelita theology. And, um, and I'm kind of coming up with my own definition and kind of working through that and, and seeing where I go with that. But I would say um, uh, Robert Chow Romero, he's actually a professor at UCLA. And yeah, so he's not I mean, he's a Christian and he, he, he writes to that, but he studies more Chicano and, and Latino Asian sort of just, you know, sociology type stuff. But um, when I read, when I first read, he has a chapter on Abuelita theology and, um, and it's not a super academic thing, but it's just the idea that, you know, who we are, we sit on the shoulders of our grandmothers and our mothers and these women who their stories have been, you know, overlooked or untold and they have just, you know, and, and all of us, whether you're Latino, Latina, you know, whoever, I mean, we all have that grandmother or that aunt or that, you know, who was just faithful and who, you know, woke up early to pray or to cook or to, you know, do whatever and just be faithful and love and serve. And so just the idea of, you know, I sit on the shoulders of my abuelita, you know, my, my grandmother, she has dementia. And I was just with her this weekend. And I love asking her all of these questions of, I don't know, just trying to understand her life. And, and it's so interesting, the little things that she that she remember, like, like food, you know, mm. like, like cooking, or she was a really good seamstress. She used to be like, she would make clothes and, and mm. how those little things stick with her, how she made clothes for people and how she cooked for her familia and you know so there's just that idea of like like she is the first theologian that i've mm. i ever knew but no one would ever consider her a right. theologian mm. right because she didn't go to seminary she's not she, she didn't even go to college you know like mm. so people would be like well she's not but no she is mm. i mean mm -hmm. faithful and you know so i would say um reading his stuff on awalita theology has been really really um impactful for me for sure mm. So today we have the guys, two guys from the wonderful band called River Teeth. Uh, we have Tony and Samuel. Uh, do you prefer Sam or Samuel? I should have probably uh, I asked. Fine. Either... Sam's probably fine for this. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, great. <laughs> so we have we have Tony and Sam, and um, yeah, the so Sam, I think you're the vocalist, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, and then uh, Tony, what instrument do you play in the band? Uh, I'm one of the two guitarists. One of the two guitarists. Um, and, and I'll have to admit, I, I saw you guys the first time. I never even heard of you. Um, and the first time I saw you all was not this past November, but the November before you played at this little tiny, like 
shouldn't say it was it wasn't tiny tiny but a small club in like it was some obscure suburb of the twin cities i had never even heard of but i'm a huge i'm a huge fan of 68 and and you all played prior to them uh and that was the first time i had heard you you know there was a lot of band there was like five or six bands that played on that on that show and most of them i'm like yeah whatever but then you all really caught my eye because i really like that sort of slow um yeah like that slow melodic post-hardcore stuff i'm a really big fan of it so you really caught my eye and it you you've kind of become this like local band that i'm like yeah that that's like my local band i really like listening to um thanks yeah <laughs> yeah so w- with all that said you all released new music uh just a, a week or two ago right yep yeah it actually uh what was it was it this past sunday yeah, 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 that sounds, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. So not even, not even over a week. Um, and anyway, uh, I, I really dig it. Um, I really dug your last EP, um, and I'm really digging this new music. Um, and I was kind of curious, what, what, are, what are some musicians or bands that you were listening to during the making of this, of this new music uh, that you think may informed or influenced uh, this, this, particular, uh, this particular EP? Yeah. Ooh, um, um, hey, you what, want to go first with that? Yeah? Sure, sure, man. Sorry. So it, it kind of a lot of these songs we've been playing for a, a year or two now. So um, a lot of different influences made their way in there. I think something that everybody in the band can say uh, they're all super into is uh, pianos become the teeth. Yeah. Um, just the the way they approach uh, melodies and there's just a lot of inspiration to draw from there. Um, a band that I can say personally influenced me a lot in that period of time was Oathbreaker. Okay, I'm um, not sure if I've heard of them. Their, their most recent record was just, I mean, they're kind of more like a, a black metal band. Okay. Uh, traditionally, but their most recent record kind of took in some more like post-rock stuff. And it was just a really great way of mixing that, like, not black metal, but uh, like hardcore. Mixing that with um, some more like ambient stuff in there in a way. It just had a really great sound. And, I think for me that would be the one, Sam. I, what do you, what do you think there? Yeah, I guess um, for me, generally speaking, uh, the music. Johnny, and I always talk a lot about. Johnny's the other guitar player, so we always talk a lot about Envy, which is like a Japanese post-hardcore yeah. band hmm. who is like does a lot of stuff that we draw inspiration from, and then also like Oh Brother, if you're if oh, you're yeah. familiar with them, mm-hmm. um, they do a lot of this more like sort of. Um, it's melodic, but it's a little more dissonant sounding. It's like mm. not as pretty melodic, you know, it's a little darker melodic. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the newer music that we've been writing has sort of drawn inspiration from that. Um, but like vocally, I guess I take, uh, you know, inspiration from a lot of different things. You know, I grew up listening to a lot of hardcore bands and, you know, being in, you know, some projects that were a little more in that direction. And, also now doing more singing in the band too you know i take a lot of influence from like citizen or those types of like sort of like poppy but sad sounding bands Mm -hmm. Um, i don't know i mean we have a ton of influences that we draw from but those are just some of them yeah what what were some of as a vocalist what were some of the themes that you try to capture lyrically in this in this new ep um in this ep it's uh pretty dark stuff honestly i mean it's it's a lot of personal experience stuff um and a lot of sort of dealing with uh 
you know, personal traumas and working through um, tough times. And the whole EP name, Aimless Ghost, is sort of like this reference to these things that happen to you, um, but then they keep happening. And it's like, they're just like these aimless um, sort of memories that pop up randomly in your life when you least expect it. And a lot of the songs are about that, about, you know, just trying to navigate life after something changes you i don't know if that makes sense mm-hmm. um it's a really strange thing to talk about um but yeah it's uh i don't know just uh writing to try to make sense of life and mm. darkness i guess mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way but uh yeah i don't know if that makes any sense no that's totally that's totally great um like with with that sort of theme of like darkness and personal experience, um, was there anything like instrumentally that you were really trying to capture that maybe resonated with that, or even maybe try to contrast that? Um, yeah, what what were you trying to to mess around with instrumentally that uh, may, may, maybe there was a theme instrumentally that you were trying to capture? Ooh, um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know saying any particular thing might get, be giving myself too much credit, but uh, <laughs> just trying to make everything a little more cohesive and have the same mood um, mm. throughout, I think was something we focused more on. I can't say it was any particular theme, mm-hmm. um, but the, we definitely focused on making it make sense together. Mm. And um, certainly I know Sam does a great job of keeping the mood there in the vocals as well as the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. I think also like <laughs> um, a thing that we always talk about when we're writing is like doing whatever we can to serve the song, you know? So like, mm. you know, if they write something, I certainly try to fit the vocals to serve the song best or like right. write to like a theme that best serves the way a song sounds. Cause I think we've always been more of like, I don't know if this makes sense, but like a vibe band, mm-hmm. like we've always been sort of more like playing to get a certain like feeling rather than being like a super technical band, you know, and like shredding. We've always been more of like feeling out the song and Mm -hmm. figuring out the mood and really just like serving that the best we can and not doing more or less than it needs. um, If that makes sense. I mean, I don't write the music, but um, I certainly try to help organize things and um, put them together in the best way possible to serve the song. Um, That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think just even one one listen to your music that becomes very apparent um, that this isn't just like you know any other like metalcore or hardcore band that's just you know trying to get really good uh, fun riffs and really heavy breakdowns. Like there's there's a tech there's a there's a side of you that recognizes that there's maybe a theme or a mood to a song and you really try to play into that. And that's I don't know I think that takes a, a different sort of artistic skill that I really in particular. Uh, really value as a listener. Hmm. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, that is, yeah. That <laughs> awesome to hear. <laughs> yeah. What is something that you try to do differently with this new EP than maybe the last EP um, musically or maybe even vocally? Uh, yeah. What, it, was there maybe like a, a evolution that you were hoping for to capture in this new EP or was there some sort of new sound that you were hoping to capture um, with this new EP versus the last EP? I mean, do you want me to talk a little bit about it, Tony? Yeah, I go. About it. where I'm at? Yeah. So 
I think, uh, so for the last EP, I honestly had just joined the band when we recorded that. And these guys had been playing these songs for a few years, probably. And I mean, I go way, way back with Johnny, the other guitar player. So we ran into each other at a show and, you know, we just got to talking a little bit and they were like, oh, we might be looking for a vocalist. And I was like, oh, okay, well, like, you know, you know, we've played together a lot. So then, you know, I sort of tried out a little bit, you know, sent them a few demos and we recorded like i don't know a couple months later <laughs> so it was like the difference with this one is me i mean f- for me personally i'm like very involved in the writing process as far mm. as the songs go and um i think musically sort of what we've been pushing a little bit more is just like more diversity like in the past it was more i don't know, like there were more noodly parts and it was like more like i guess somewhat like emo influence in a way mm. and like more like I don't know. This this new one is much more, uh, I think, like darker influenced and much more washy. And we tried mm-hmm. to do a little bit more with the tempos and stuff because when we were writing, we got to the point where we're like, man, everything is so slow, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, so with these new songs, we try to get a little bit more diversity in there and sort of push ourselves to do stuff that isn't super easy, you know, because I mean, mm-hmm. it's easier for us to sit down and just jam out a, a slower part for a practice and be like, oh, that's a song. But with this stuff, you know, we tried to, you know, push ourselves a little bit more. And I think, you know, we're still doing that, you know, as far as like continuing writing beyond this and trying to sort of, I don't know, push what we can do even further and try different things. And I don't know, now I'm rambling, but Tony, you can go ahead. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a touch on like, you know, point you made there. Um, having Sam come into the picture for writing with this EP had a tremendous impact on it. Mm. Before it was, uh, it was a collection of songs that we we had done, like instrumentally everything was done and we had been playing instrumental sets. And then Sam joined, we're like, here's what we got, write lyrics to it, like write vocals to it. Um, so having Sam involved just like, it makes everything so much more cohesive and it mm. makes so much more sense. And he does a great job kind of guiding us in that, uh, in the writing process. Uh, I think something that's really different on how we approached recording this EP um, right away is that our last, our first one, uh, Loving a Place You've Never Been, was recorded live as a full mm-hmm. band. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And we did that with uh, Eric Paulson and in his parents' basement and <laughs> um, just a couple takes on each one, pick the best one. And it came out very well for doing that. But this one, we did it part by part, actually did it to a click, did it much more mm-hmm. you know, professionally. Um, and comparing the two records, you can really tell that it was worth taking the time on that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the biggest thing for sure. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, well, I, I know you're playing a, a show tomorrow, uh, which I really hope to be able to come to. I'm not sure if I <laughs> will be able to, but I really would like to. Uh, but are there any other upcoming projects or tours or shows that you're looking forward to um, doing as River Teeth? Um, yeah, I mean, so, excuse me, uh, tomorrow, yeah, we're playing, uh, and then we're supposed to play the following day up in uh, Moorhead with some friends, but, you know, with the weather, we're not sure how it's all going to mm-hmm. play out, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, we've been talking to a few different people about, you know, some upcoming shows in the future, and it is a little bit harder with me living out of state now, but it's, you know, a pretty quick drive for me to come up, so, we try to, you know, string a couple shows together and make it worthwhile. And, um, but yeah, I mean, we're definitely trying to be more active because we were, 
um, sleeping for a while there, especially with like working on new music and went through a few mem- or like a, a member change and stuff. So, um, but yeah, now, you know, we're trying to get everything figured out and setting up some stuff for the future for sure, but nothing like solid, solid yet other than these two shows coming up, but definitely lots of, uh, planning. So great. Yeah, so just be on the lookout. Yeah. Sweet. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. This has been a really great conversation. I love hearing about your music. I really believe in your music. I think if you guys really want to make this thing work, I think you all have the talent and the chops for it. So um, I really believe in your music, and I, I really hope the best for, for all of the work that you do. Hey, thanks well, so thanks, much. Man. Man. Yeah. yeah, we appreciate the support and the kind words, and it, honestly, it means so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. A telos of white supremacy is to strip one's heritage away from oneself. How does your Cuban heritage uniquely empower your own theology and spirituality? Mm. Oh, that's a good You've question. already sort of been talking a little yeah. bit about this, but if we could dive down that, that trail a little bit more, I'd like to hear that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, going, going back to the whole Awelita theology, um, you know, who are the people who have whose, like I said, stories have been untold, who have been overlooked, but who have you know, transferred that survival that, you know, I, I call, so I sort of the definition that I'm creating for Awalita theology is, is, is a theology of survival and a theology of resistance and a mm. theology of persistence. And so it's the idea that, you know, like, for example, in Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman, you know, she she has a sick daughter, you know, and my grandmother, she came to this when she got to this country, my mother, uh, she had type one diabetes, she was diagnosed at six years old, you know, very young. Mm. And um, my grandma her, you know, all she had to think about was my daughter, my daughter, you know, she needs, to, I, I need to feed her, I need to make sure that she's okay, that she doesn't go into a diabetic coma that she, you know, and her husband was passing away. And so all of these things are happening at the same time. And, you know, this, the strength that she received from, from her faith that wasn't articulated in any specific, you know, way that wasn't, she didn't have all this language behind it. She just knew that like God, you know, she got her strength from God and she was just going to do what she got to do. You know, she was just going to mm-hmm. survive. And so I bring up the Canaanite woman because she's sort of like the model of that, right? Like she goes up to Jesus and she's like, Hey, my daughter's sick. And Jesus is like, cool, I don't care. Like, I'm not going to give my bread and feed it to the dogs. And she's like, I eat the crumbs. I don't care, you know. Mm. And he looks at her and he says, "That's great faith," you know. Like he counts that as faith. And so I look at my abuelita and I look at you know all the women that came before me, and I look at that that sort of that survival and that persistence and that resistance that we just got to make it through tomorrow. You know, I'm here in this country. I don't know the language. I don't know, but I'm just I got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so I see that in, you know, and, and how, how Jesus told this Canaanite woman, like, you have great faith. I see that in my abuelita, like her, her faith is mm-hmm. great because she just, she just kept trucking. 
you know, survival. Um, and so I would say it's, it's in the stories of those abuelitas. That's where, you know, I find myself in, in the stories of, of, of my mother, my, my tia, my aunt, my, you know, um, just making it through to the next day. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. As a coffee shop owner with your mm-hmm. husband, I'm sure you and your husband are big fans of coffee. Uh, how does coffee and theology intersect? Oh my gosh! Um, so we so so we do coffee roasting. I just want to clarify. Oh, that sorry, sorry about that. No, no, you're good. You're good. I that is a definitely a goal is to do to have a coffee shop. Um, but as far as um, roasting and how we see those two intersect, well, we sort of started this whole thing um, because we wanted to you know, kind of see where the, how we can connect the two. We wanted Mm. to, you know, so much of, uh, obviously coffee has grown in so much of the global South. And so, you know, in South America and Africa, and that's where some of where the best beans comes from. And so we specifically, um, we wanted to support and empower women um, farmers Mm. in these countries. And so we actually only get our beans from women farmers or women owned farms. Um, because we, you know, women are in, in so many of these countries, like doubly, triply, quadruply marginalized, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so we want to empower and we want to support and, um, hopefully find a way to where, you know, cause the process of, of how you get coffee, I mean, it starts off in a cherry and it has to be picked and it has you know, very particularly, I mean, they do this by hand and then, mm-hmm. you know, you get all your little beans together and then you have to dry them out and that takes, you know, there's different methods, but, you know, so there's such a long and um, very specific process to the coffee that we drink, right? And and we're kind of like, oh, you know, Folgers, whatever, people will drink whatever, but no, I mean, Coffee is a precious, precious little, little, mm-hmm. you know, yep. little product <laughs> um, with so much care involved. And, and I see that, you know, in, in growing up, you know, how we would cook our food, how we would cook our frijoles or our beans, you know, it's that same sort of process. They have to sit for hours and simmer. And I mean, you, you, you connect with your food and you, you know, cause you have to watch it for hours and then you sit and eat it, you know, with, with your family. and so. I see, you know, coffee beans uh, in the same way, you know, there's a lot of love and, and a lot of these farms are owned, um, are family farms, you know, passed on from generation to generation. And so we just kind of wanted to be, wanted to be involved in that process. You know, I wanted to build relationships with farmers and, and, um, and, and not in such a way as like, oh, here, let us, you know, let us come here and, and try and no, we want to, we want you to, we want to learn from you. We want to learn about this incredible mm. process and this product and that so many people adore, right? And and I feel like coffee is such a communal thing. I mean, you you sit and you talk for coffee. I mean, you in the mornings you you know whether you have you have your meditation time or your you know, but you you start your day with it and you know. So I just find it to be such a such a wonderful product and. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we see so much community in that. We see so much community in coffee and we see so much um, care and love and attention to the product. And so we just wanted to be involved with that process because um, that's, I mean, that's what it is to, to live out your faith, right? Community right. intentionally and it takes time and yeah. So, that's great. Yeah. I forgot to mention at the top of the episode, 
that you also are a podcaster and you yeah. have a podcast called uh, The Protagonistas, right? Yeah. And so I was curious, since starting your podcast, what, mm-hmm. what is something that you've learned that you may not have expected to have learned? Oh, that's a really good question. What have I learned? I've actually learned, and maybe this is not necessarily learned, but I have healed so much through just hearing the story, you know, hearing other people's stories. And I'm sure as you do too, that you just sit and listen to people's stories, that there is um, such, it's such a redemptive process. And, and specifically because as you understand that you're, you know, you don't want to interject too much. You don't want to say too much. You kind of mm-hmm. just want to let people talk. And so there, it's just something beautiful about that. Like what comes out, you know, and, and as a, as a podcaster, this also, I always think about this is that you never know what you're going to get. Right. So you're just kind of like, all right, hope this goes well. I have a couple things planned, but you know, you could have high hopes for a conversation and you're like, well, I didn't turn out as I planned, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love that. Um, that's, you know, surprise aspect to it. I have learned how to just, just let it go where it goes. Right. Just kind of, and it's funny because when I started, I just said this in my last episode that I recorded, but when I started, I had originally said that I was going to do a mini series. I was only going to do eight to 10 episodes. Hmm. Um, yeah, I was, I was on Amina, I was speaking to Amina Brown on her podcast and, and it was right before I started it. And I said, yeah, it's a mini series, you know, eight to 10 episodes, that's it. And, you know, and I, like I said, I mentioned this in my, in my last episode, but I really do think that that was just imposter syndrome and me mm. not believing that I could do more than that. Like, well, mm. if it's eight to 10 episodes and no one listens and it doesn't matter. Right. Cause it's just eight to 10 episodes, you know, like if no one's mm. listening, but, um, I think, yeah, in that process of just getting comfortable with myself and, and believing in vision and mission and passion. Um, so that's something that I've learned to just kind of like follow through with something that you believe in and let it, mm-hmm. let it go, let it take you where it takes you. You don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, um, and be open to surprises. Cause yeah, you never know what you're going to get right. with the conversation. So, yeah. Well, yeah. One of the things I love about that is you are empowering and inspiring so many other women, especially women of color, black women, Latino women, queer women. Um, indigenous women, uh, all sorts of women to, to do something that really has been dominated by straight yeah. white men, right? And so I'm really, I, I love the fact that like we even know each other because I can point to you as somebody who, hey, this is a space that's typically dominated by white men, but here's somebody that's different, that's alternative yeah. to that, that's otherwise to that. And, I, and so that's just something that is, I think, really wonderful about your work is, is you're just- Thank you. You're- I, I mean, I don't know how many young people or even older people are listening to your podcast, but you're inspiring uh, to them, especially, you know, it, there might be another Cuban woman, young Cuban mm-hmm. woman who might be listening to your podcast and thinking, I could do that someday because Kat totally. did that, right? So that, that's something I really love about your work. No, thank you. Yeah, and it's, it's true. I mean, there's room for all of us at the table. You know, I don't have to be the only one. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, even if I can just inspire one other person to just get a little mic and you know just figure it out yeah right. totally are you familiar with Diedrich Bonhoeffer's religionless christianity by any chance i'm familiar with bonhoeffer okay. um but i haven't not too much specifically yeah religion so, so if you know about bonhoeffer you know he he was killed by the nazi regime yeah. um for protesting resisting the nazi party mm-hmm. 
uh, and he also uh, really was vocal about Christianity's co-opting to the Nazi uh, mm-hmm. regime. Uh, and so I did read Eric Metaxas's book. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. Oh, no. I listened to the audio book back then. Chad, I don't know if that's redeemable. I don't know if that's redeemable. <laughs> I did. I know. Oh, shoot. Well, but don't worry. Afterwards, I knew, I knew, you know, what I did was wrong. And, yeah. Okay. I mean, you're, they're, I they're lucky that Jesus preached a, a message of repentance because you know, have that opportunity I... left, but you only might have one. So you really have to redeem yourself and not mess up again. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, that's fine. But, but I mean, if you know about Bonhoeffer's life and his work, uh, you, you know, probably then kind of what he was maybe getting at with religionless Christianity. But uh, regardless, what do you, how do you see your work maybe relating to or connecting to Bonhoeffer's work, especially in, in, in his work uh, of resistance of uh, white nationalism in Germany? Mm-hmm. Um, well. I would say that um, based on what I have read and what I, what I do know about Bonhoeffer, I, I love his language around it being like following Jesus and, you know, all of that, the fact that it's costly, um, mm-hmm. the fact that, yeah, like it's not going to be easy or it's not going to be seamless. Um, Mm -hmm. I know when I started speaking out against uh, white evangelicalism and my experiences, you know, with sexism and racism um, and white evangelicalism, I mean, yeah, like I've lost a lot of friends, you know, I, I mean, my family trolled me. It was just nasty for a few months and it was hard and mm-hmm. there were nights that I wasn't sleeping and because I was just so anxious and so stressed about what people were thinking of me and saying, you know, mm-hmm. whatever stupid things. But, um, but yeah, it's just the idea that it's, it's going to be costly. Um, and that's something that I, I just, that always stood out to me from, from Bonhoeffer's story um, that it, be, being a resistor is is gonna is gonna piss some people off of course um and it's not going to be comfortable and so just calling that calling that out um yeah it's gonna suck you know um mm-hmm. but just kind of being okay with that and 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 e- like i said there's going to be beautiful things that are birthed from it um and so yeah so I- just say that just the word costly kind of in regard to that yeah well, last question how can listeners get connected to you and your work yeah so i am on twitter um at cat with a k k-a-t mm-hmm. underscore armas a-r-m-a-s um and i have a website just catarmas.com my first and last name um and yeah, I mean, those are the two main things. And then my podcast is The the Protagonistas. Um, and you can find that on Spotify and iTunes and all of that. I think some other apps. I don't know all of them. But yeah, any podcast app. Um, yeah, that's pretty much that. And may I, for, for those who are listening, may I really recommend following you on Twitter. You're just, you you have <laughs> tweets that explode. They're great. They're They're just so good. Uh, and, and I think really give an insight into what it's like to be a a student, uh, a seminary student in particular, uh, a yeah. seminary student who really cares deeply about the Bible 
and about theology and about liberation. And uh, you, you just have really great insights that I think are really personal. And there's a reason why they seem to connect with a lot of people. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And yeah, and I really enjoy your Twitter feed. I love your, I feel like your tweets are very niche and they crack me up. <laughs> I'm kind of a niche personality, so I'm glad that works. Well, All thank right. you again, Kat. Uh, this has been yeah. really wonderful. Awesome. Thank you so much. that episode left you hanging and you're wanting more from both Cat and River Teeth, you can find links to connect to them and their work in the episode description. Again, you can also connect to me through my website, masonmenega.com. There you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, If Religionless Church matters to you, support by giving a rating and review and by becoming a patron of my Patreon page. Thank you for listening to Religionless Church. I send you out with this. May the divine bless you with doubt and keep you disrupted. May the divine make the divine's face of infinitude shine upon you and show you graciousness to your own finitude. May the divine lift up the divine's countenance of justice upon you and give you whole unsatisfaction, now and forever. So be it.